0: Today we're going to talk about some guarantees. Guarantees in a broken world. Would you all agree with me that our world is broken? That bad things sometimes happen? And none of us are really guaranteed anything other than what the Lord guarantees? See, because He backs up His claims. There are like 365 promises in the Bible. Hey, that's one for every day of the year, isn't it? I want to look about four of them today. But there are no guarantees. Some of you are wondering what these flowers are doing here. We've got some more out there. If you asked Todd Gifford three or three months ago if he would be dead and in heaven today, he would have said, no way. Everything's fine. Until it isn't. And he goes to the doctor and says, you got a spot on your lung. We need to check that out. Biopsy. You've got cancer. Very aggressive. Very serious. we got to treat this. And... Boom. There's no guarantees. If you'd asked me yesterday if my right arm, the muscle would look like a rubber band under the sleeve today, I would say, no way. Costco was having a sale on a KitchenAid barbecue that I just had been eyeing for a long time. And uh, after the funeral, I got a couple of the guys, and one guy worked at Costco. I bought it yesterday, but they held it for me. They said they'd only hold it a day because I, like, I couldn't get it home. I, I, I got a little pickup truck, but I didn't have any help. So they said, but you've got to get it today. So after the funeral, I got a couple guys. I said, could you guys help me? They said, sure. We went down there and loaded that thing. They had a, a fellow at Costco that helped us, and four of us, one in each corner. I go, that wasn't too bad. Get it home. There's only three of us. And uh, in my head, I said, you you, you two guys to get that side. I can get this side. In my head, I thought I could do that. But my body said otherwise. And as that thing started coming off my truck, this I heard a snap here at my elbow, and it went all the way up to my shoulder. And so Jane went online and says, uh, sounds like you tore a muscle from your elbow. And if it looks like a rubber band, and we took the ice pack off, and there's a rubber band there, hopefully... It's just a stretch. That's what I've been praying for. And Jane says that's a bit of a stretch to believe that. So I just got horizontal, put an ice pack on it yesterday. And as soon as this service is over, I might knuckle bumple, uh, knuckle bump a few of you, and then I'm going to go home and ice pack it again. All right. And I'm hoping some doctor will see me tomorrow, and we can figure this thing out. But there's no guarantees. Years ago, when Jane and I got married, we'd only been married a year. I got married my senior year in college. I don't recommend that. It is very, very difficult. Uh, and after we graduated from college, um, we got an internship in Portales, New Mexico. And we, you know, the, the church packed up all of our stuff from Lubbock, and they took it to New Mexico, we just had a few personal things that we needed to take care of. And I said, hey, before we start, can we have time to go and visit our family, say goodbye, go back to California for a bit? Because we were going to be there. It was a a one-year internship. And they said, sure, take your time, go, blah, 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 blah. And um, while we were in college, they required that you have insurance. And Jason, said, "Well, well, should we get insurance you know, pay our bill. I said, "Ah, the grace period to cover us." Uh, we'll be in New Mexico soon. I understand that one of the church members there uh, had his own insurance company, J.E. McKillop Insurance Company. I said, "We'll just buy it from him. It'd be a win-win. Great. We're young. What could happen?" Well, we said goodbye to our family. We headed for New Mexico, and it's a long trip to New Mexico. And so we were taking turns driving. You know how that is. I was sleepy in the middle of the night, and I said, "You take over." And so. I'm just about to sleep. And, and I hear Jane saying, wake up, wake up. And I thought, oh, man, what do we do, hit somebody? I mean, what's going on? You know, you know, you're just falling off, and you wake up. And she says, I got something on my throat. What is it? I don't know. Pull over, pull over. So we're in the middle of nowhere. And I turn on the dome light, and I say, yeah, you got a lump there. And I felt it, and I go, ooh, that's a pretty big lump. I said, well, when we get to New Mexico, It's only about an hour and a half, two hours to Lubbock, where we went to college, and we knew a doctor there. We'll have him go check it out. So we did. And he says, oh, you have a cyst on your thyroid. It has to come out. Jane says, when? He said, tomorrow. (laughs) So we checked her into Methodist Hospital. And um, you know how you go down with your insurance card, and you give it to them, and they say... um, Mr. Rokas, your grace period ended yesterday. And I go, oh, great. How much is this going to cost? We don't know yet. Well, the, friend, the doctor friend of ours, he, uh, husband and wife team, um, knew us pretty well. And they said, well, I know you don't have insurance. I'll make arrangements where they don't charge you too much because he knew we were only making $150 a week in our internship. And uh, so following the surgery, and and then we moved Jane to his house, so we didn't have to pay the hospital, but the doctors needed to be paid off pretty much right away. And when I went to check her out, I said, what's the bill? They said $10,000. Did you know that this church sent us a check for $800, and you didn't even know us? to help pay the doctors off. I made payments for years. Ten years later, I receive an envelope in the mail from Methodist Hospital in Lubbock, Texas. What's this all about? And there was this big red thing on it that said, paid in full. I said, Jane, I got you back. We're free. You're, you're, our, you're mine again. They don't own us. Then we bought a house in Whittier over here. Did you know Whittier has really hard water? Our neighborhood has 19 grains of water. We had a guy come out and test it. So that's how I know that. And he was going through the neighborhood selling soft water conditioners, and everyone was buying them. So I thought, well, you know, it's supposed to save the pipes and blah, blah, blah. So we bought one. And it was a lifetime guarantee. I thought, Life? who does that? We do that. Are you sure you do? Yes, we do that. I fell for it. Three years later, something went wrong with it. And so I called the 1-800-SERVICE-ME-NOW. And I got a recording that said, you have reached 1-800, we are out of business. Yippee. We live in a fallen, broken world. There's no guarantees. Have you figured that out yet? It's kind of risky living on this planet. Aren't you grateful we have a God? Aren't you grateful that this is not our home? Aren't you grateful that we're going home someday? The real home is in heaven, and we don't have to worry about this stuff. But in the meantime, we need a God to help us. And we need to understand, although there will be problems, there will be tribulations, there will be hurts, there will be death of loved ones, there will be arm strains, and I hope that's all it is. We have another home outside of this home called heaven. First Peter 3, verse 9. Look at it up here on the screen. First of all, you need to know that God will keep every promise that he's made. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Sometimes the people were saying, what's going on here? I thought the Lord was coming soon. When's he coming back? He's never going to come back. Don't you say that. Our God keeps his promise. Uh, if he's slow, it's because he's being patient with you. Aren't you glad Those of you that became a Christian in the last few months, that he hadn't come back yet? He had you in mind. Look at this next verse. Not only that, he says, now hold on to this promise. Hold on to this hope. You know, you can spell hope a couple different ways. You can spell hope, H-O-P-E, question mark. Or you can spell hope, H-O-P-E, exclamation mark. That's the Christian hope, isn't it? The, the, the Bible, when it speaks of hope, it's talking about earnest expectation. Not, oh, I hope so. That's not biblical hope. We, we hang on to this hope. The hope that we profess that there is a God. He is alive. In Him we live and we survive. For He who promised is faithful. Amen? His guarantees never expire. His grace period never ends. Matthew 28, 20 says, remember the Great Commission? How does it end? And lo, I will be with you always. That's why I never fly. It's because he's low. Just kidding. I will be with you always. But do you always feel like God's with you? I know I don't. Yesterday I'm holding this ice on my arm going, hey, you know, this morning is pretty cool. You let me preach the good news to... This place was packed yesterday. I wish it was as full today as it was yesterday. We were being threatened with towing cars away that were double-parked out in our parking lot. That's how packed it was around here. It was standing room only. The balcony was full. Some of you here, you know what I'm talking about. But you don't always feel like God is with you. Sometimes... You feel like you're praying to an iron ceiling. You had some major surgery, and you were flat on your back for a long time. And I remember seeing you, and you've had good days and bad days, and you got a whole lot of time to think when you're laying on your back, and you cannot move, and you itch in spots that you cannot scratch. And then just as soon as you start to get a little bit better, I remember, hey, we need to pray for Troy again. Boy, ah, something else. It's, you got, and then another surgery a year or so later or whatever. You've got to put a rod in your leg and then they've got to do surgery to take the rod out. Bummer. You don't always... When, when the doctor says, um, come in and bring your spouse, that's never a good sign, right? And the next word out of the doctor's mouth when you get there is Cancer. You don't always feel like God is with you, do you? But here's what I want you to know. He's still with you. He's with you on your best days, but He's also with you on your worst days. Because our God is faithful. He is faithful in a world full of broken promises. I want to look at four of them quickly this morning. The first one is, God will help when you are tempted. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says this, There is no temptation taken you, such as common to man what does that common demand mean that means that we all go through it you go through temptation i go through temptation what tempts me may not tempt you and what tempts you may not tempt me we've all got our demons we've all got our battles to fight but we all go through it i remember when i was in elementary school i wanted to be a good boy so bad but i couldn't be a good boy and i thought you know what i went to harry wurtz elementary school but a lot of the kids went to Paramount Junior High School and they walked by the fence to go to school in the morning. I go, those junior high kids look so big and so mature, I bet they never have the problems that I have and they never do the bad things that I do. When I become a junior high boy, I'm going to be a good boy. So I thought. I just gave up dumb elementary school stuff for dumb junior high stuff. And gave up the dumb junior high stuff for the dumb high school stuff. That I'm high school stuff, that I'm college stuff, that I'm college stuff, that I'm married stuff, and I'm going to stop right there. Everybody goes through temptation. That's all that's saying, and God knows that, and God says I'm going to be faithful, and I won't let you go beyond. See the word beyond? What's that mean? It means beyond. It means it means okay. Satan has to raise his hand and say, can I do this to Bruce? Can I do this to Joe? Remember those stories in the Bible? And God says, yes, but you can only... it's limited. You can take away his things, but you can't touch him. You can touch him, but you can't. There's limits. He won't let you go beyond because he trusts you to a certain limitation. And so whenever Satan wants to do something to you, he's got to raise his hand and say, can I do this? Because Satan gives an account for everything he has to do. So you say, I just can't go, I just cannot handle this temptation. You are wrong. Because that verse is right. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. So if you find yourself in a place of great temptation, understand this. God trusts you and that you can handle it. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of what? Escape. It's the Greek word ekbasis. It means a way out. It's God's job to provide the way out. Whose job is it to take it? It's ours. And sometimes it's just the Holy Spirit giving you a nudge, saying, get out of here. Or don't keep going that direction, or just stop. What did did Joseph, what did the Holy Spirit tell Joseph to do when Potiphar's wife kept coming on to him again and again and again? Run. Sometimes that's all you can do, is just run. She grabbed his coat or cloak and cried foul. Wasn't his fault. He did the right thing. and doesn't mean everything's... It's a broken world, right? You ever got in trouble for doing the right thing? That old saying, no good deed goes unpunished sometimes? Well, he went through that. I had a kid in my youth group years ago. He just got a new car and a new girlfriend. and This is back in the days where if you go over Klima Road and then the first or second light make a left there. They were building new homes there. It was kind of an overlook. And a lot of the boys would like to take the girlfriends up there and look at the lights, they would say. Just I'm just showing her how pretty the lights are up here. And I guess that was a spot where they went for a while. And then they eventually fenced it off. And anyway, he says, I went up there the other night. I go, You did? What happened? So I don't know. I just got real hot and bothered and I just didn't know what to do. And I say, here's what you do don't go up there anymore. But number two, if you ever get hot and bother again, the Bible says God has promised a way of escape. And he told me what to tell you. He did? I go, yeah. Well, what should I do? I said, you know that 7-Eleven over there off of Hacienda and La Sabita? He goes, oh yeah, going there all the time. Well, the Lord wants you to Stop whatever you're doing. When you get hot, drive your new car over to that 7-Eleven. Go in and buy the biggest big gulps you can find. Fill it full of ice. And then put your favorite soft drink in it. Really, Really? I'm not kidding. Then what? He wants you to go to the middle of the parking lot of that 7-Eleven and pour it right over the top of your head. God's job to provide the way of escape. Our job to take the way of escape. Number two, God will help you when you're troubled. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know, this is something that you can know, this is something that you can count on, that in all things God works for the good. Now, notice that does not say that all things are good, does it? It just says God can work in all things for the good of those that love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There was a woman taken in adultery, the very act of adultery, John chapter 8, 1 through 11 says. And they were brought into a church service much like this. Jesus is up there preaching. They drag her in. They said, this woman was taken in the very act of adultery. Preacher, what do you think we ought to do to her? Preacher, you do know that the law, the law of God says, uh, seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Law says stoner. What are you going to do, prophet? And and Jesus, remember, he knelt down, started doodling in the sand. They just kept on badgering him, getting at him. Hey, are you going to cop out on this one? And finally Jesus looks up and says, okay, stoner, stoner. And by the way, you do know, if you read the rest of the law, that the witnesses cast the first stone. Who were the witnesses? These religious hypocrites, the very one that set her up and prostituted her to get to our Jesus. And boy, they didn't want to do that. They wanted to be the heroes. They wanted to be the good guy in the Bibles. And then he says, let the one among you who's without sin cast the first stone. The Bible says they all left from the oldest to the least. And man, they wanted out of there real quick. And now who's left? Jesus and the woman. And Jesus says, where are your accusers, Lord? She says, oh, I don't have any unless you accuse me. And she says, oh no, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. It was a bad situation. But God knew that this woman would receive the good news that she would receive Jesus. And she became a believer that day. He turned a bad situation into good. Yesterday I had a chance to preach to I'm thinking we had close to 400 people in here. It was like a sardine. Talk about being hot this morning, Tony. It was hotter yesterday. You get that many bodies in this place. Our air conditioner could not keep up. Well, in any event, uh, yeah, Todd passing away. Horrible thing. Cancer. Lung cancer. Bad thing. Good thing the gospel was preached. I don't know what's going to come of all that. But I'm I'm just saying I know the word doesn't return void, and I'm just going to let the Lord work on that. So, He'll help you when you are troubled. Number three, God will help you when you're tormented. God will help you when you're tormented with doubt. Doubt. Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. you always believe that verse? You ever doubted that verse? I know I sinned. I know I messed up. But this verse says, there's no condemnation in me. See, heaven will not condemn you if you are where? In Christ Jesus. See that little phrase, in Christ? If you're in Christ this morning, heaven will not condemn you. And hell cannot condemn you. Now, hell will try, because that's hell's job. Doesn't Revelation, the book of Revelation 12, I think verse 10, say something like, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So it's sort of his job to accuse us of our sins. 1 John 2, verse 1, look at this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Write what to us? Well, 1 John 1, 1 through 10. What was 1 John 1, 1 through 10? God loves you, and if you love Him back, even though you sin, His blood will constantly keep you clean. Really? Yeah. Confess that you're a sinner, and you cannot save yourself, And ask Jesus to forgive you. And he'll wipe every sin away and he'll keep them away. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he starts with these words. My dear children, once you've done that, guess what you are? You're a child of God. You're in God's family, right? Who's he writing to? You? Me? Because we are in Christ. We're uncondemnable. I know Satan is trying to make you feel guilty. I know that you are trying to make you feel guilty because if you're feeling guilty, it's not coming from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't hit anybody with guilt. The Holy Spirit convicts. That's different from guilt. And so if you want to leave here today feeling condemned and guilty, you can do that, but that's you doing it. It's not God. Because you're a child. You're in the family. I write this to you so that you will not sin. If anybody does, see that word if, that's a lousy translation in the English. You know what the Greek says? But when you do. (laughs) But when you sin. See, God knows us. Those of you that are parents, you say, son, never do that again. Daddy, I will never do that again. Do they ever do it again? Have you told your parents, I'll never do it again, and you did it again? Yeah. Now, they're stating their intent, they're stating their want to, but God knows that we're weak sinners. And, and, and do you kick your son out of the family when he does the next time? No, and God doesn't kick you out of his family. He says, I'm telling you the good news to make you better. But when you do sin, we have a, one who speaks to the Father. It's the Greek word for advocate. In our defense, that word defense is the paraclete. a uh, Greek word parakaleo. Para. We get the word parable from it. Parallel is our English equivalent. Like railroad tracks, they run parallel to each other. We have a defense lawyer, a paraclete, who stands alongside of us. His name is Jesus Christ the Righteous. And so it's sort of a courtroom scene that that John is picturing. Imagine yourself before the throne room of God and there, serving as judge, jury, and prosecutor is God Almighty. But you're going into this courtroom Guilty of sin, because we're all guilty, right? But you're going into a courtroom that is stacked in your favor. Let me see if I can point this out. So the father's on the bench, and my 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 defense lawyer, and by the way, like Perry Mason, Jesus never loses a case, all right? My defense lawyer who's never lost a case is the son of the judge. That's pretty cool, right? And if I'm in Christ, then I'm in the family, and this is my big brother defending me to my father. Who's he writing this to? My dear, what's the next word? Children. If you're a child of God, you're in the family. Your big brother's taking care of you, and your father's about to take care of you. But you stand before the throne, and the father... Oh, you know who's also there? The accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, verse 10. And he's got a long list. Some of the lists are a little longer than others in this room. But it doesn't matter. It just takes one to put you outside of Christ, right? How many sins did Adam and Eve have to commit before they were out of the garden? Just one. Now, how many murders do you got to commit before you're a murderer? Just one. How many sins do you got to commit before you're a sinner? Just one. And there you are in this courtroom. And the judge says... How do you plead? Don't say, not guilty, Your Honor. Don't you dare say that. Because the Father would say, wait a minute, I know you're guilty. I was there when you did it. I saw it all happen. I, I saw your intent and attitude leading up to it, and the moment it happened. Don't say, I didn't do it. Just go ahead and plead Guilty. Guilty as charged, Your Honor. Then your Paraclete takes over. He says, All right, sit down. I'll take it from here. Uh, your Honor, may I approach the bench? Uh, yes, you may. And Jesus, hey, Dad, this is one of ours. Remember back on earth, we had this plan that I would go and die for all the sinners in the world, and those that believed in me, repented, and trusted me for their salvation. We would let them off the hook when this day came. Oh yeah, yeah, Bruce. Oh yeah, Bruce Rokas, right there. Book of Life. There, there's his name. Yeah. Okay, I'll take it from here. The the son goes and sits by you, and the father says, "Not, not guilty." He brings down the hammer and says, "Acquitted." The court refuses to prosecute. Isn't that cool? Acquitted. Not, not guilty. We're guilty. But you see that phrase up there that says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one? What does that mean? Because he died on the cross for me. He already paid for my fine. And it would be unrighteous for God to punish me too if my fine has already been paid. We don't even allow that in the courts on earth. It's called double jeopardy. And it's not allowed. But it drives Satan crazy. Because you try pleading to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of sins over a lifetime, or crimes in front of a judge on this earth, and say, guilty as a guilty as charge, man, they're going to send you straight to jail and death row but only in heaven's court when you have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous by your side, that you get acquitted. Look at 1 John 3.20. Whenever our hearts condemn us, and you got to admit, from time to time, this is really good stuff. This is good news. I hope you really believing in this today. Because there's going to come a time when you're going to feel really rotten and bad about yourself. And Satan's going to try to get into your head and get you down and depressed and discouraged and make you even wonder if you're saved at all. I want you to go back to this verse, all right? Because when your heart condemns you, here's what I know. God is greater than your heart. Isn't that good? So who are you going to listen to? Your heart or God? I'm going to listen to God. I want to listen to that voice. Because that will keep me hanging on. That will keep me from quitting. That will keep me from believing the lie of the accuser of the brethren. Look at Psalm 32.2. Blessed is the man whose, whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Wow, who is that man? Bruce, do you know any people like that? Yeah, I'm looking at them. If you're a child of God this morning, I'm looking at men and women whose sin has never charged against them, never even goes on their record. And that's why that man, that woman, can be happy rather than having a condemned heart. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. See that word, know? You say, well, I just don't know if you can know. <laughs> then you don't know the Bible. Because my Bible, how do you spell no? K-N-O-W. Right? Did I spell that right? I'm not looking. That's K-N-O, isn't it? K N O -O W. You can K-N-O that you have eternal life. You can? Yes, you can. But what if I don't feel it? Don't listen to your feelings. What if my heart condemns me? Don't listen to your heart. Listen to God. He's greater than your heart. Is all this making sense? Because a whole lot of you are not sharing the good news because it's not been good news to you. We got upward season coming up. We got camp coming up. We got VBS coming up. And a whole lot of you aren't going to talk to your neighbors. They got little kids that you want to get here because they've seen you park your car that leaks oil in front of their house. And they know that you don't mow your lawn all the time. And they know that they've heard you say a few words that are probably unkind. And you feel, I just feel so guilty and so condemned that I feel bad about asking them to come to our church because I don't feel like a very good Christian. Stop it. None of us are any good. We all need Jesus, and so do your neighbors, and so get over it and talk to them. Amen? Hope this is making sense. And and then smile. Enjoy the ride. Uh, Some people don't like flying on airplanes. I love flying on airplanes, especially when we're going to Hawaii. Did that twice. Disney World in Florida did that once. Um, Scottsdale, Arizona, Sky Harbor. Man, you just get up, and, man, you're going back down. I, I love fly. every part of it. I, Jane, I want the window. I want you at the window last time. I, we enjoy flying. I don't like the you know the strip search before I can get on the airplane and all that you got to go through. But once I'm on, I, I enjoy it. I love the takeoff. I love the landing. I love daytime flying. I love nighttime flying. I can see the lights. It's just so cool. And then when we land, you know, I know every time you get on a flight, you you know, you know there is that possibility, right? This thing may crash, but I don't even think about that. I think about landing safely, getting to the rental car, and having a good time. But not every Christian is that way when it comes to flying from this planet to the next. Man, they're white knuckling it. (laughs) Oh, I just became a Christian, boy. I hope nothing messes this up. You know? And you're white knuckling it. <laughs> and finally, when you get to heaven, <laughs> I'm not sure you're going to let go for a while. You know? <laughs> Am I really here, Lord? You know? I can't believe I made it. <laughs> well, if you were trusted in you. Trust in me. You're one of my children. I don't let my children go. It's going to hang on to you. One last thing God will help you when you're tired. And ready for home. You ever get tired and just go, When, oh Lord, when? I feel that way sometimes. Look how many times Hebrews 4 9 through 11 uses the word rest. God will help you when you are tired and ready for home. Why? Because there remains then a Sabbath rest. What did God do on the seventh day? rested he ceased his work not like this universe building is really hard work I need a day off no we need a day off but that's not because God said I'm going to set an example for you for the people of God for anyone who enters God's rest also rest from his own work just as God did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest in other words just hang in there I know some of you are going, Pff, Lord, come quickly. I've had days like that, but it's in His timing, it's in His hands. And one day, He will take you home, and you will enter into that rest. Home is a beautiful word, isn't it? I've asked Jesus, uh, when I enter into that rest, and you bring me through the valley of the shadow of death, and aren't you glad it says all the way through, not just halfway through, I said, I'd like to see my mom and dad first, and then my Uncle James and Aunt Mary next. Uh, I had the privilege of leading my uncle James to Christ two weeks before he died. He'd resisted, resisted, resisted forever two weeks before he died. Down to about 70 pounds. Bad shape. He received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I want to see him. I want to talk to him. It's when you're away from home, though, it's when you... The word home really takes on new meaning, doesn't it? Because that's where your loved ones are. I, I've never had to fight in a battle with a gun, never been to Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, Middle East, never been in any of that stuff. Uh, had bullets whizzing by my head, RGPs and bombs exploding, grenades. I haven't I've never been anything like that. I just I've seen it, and I've talked to those that have. I've got relatives that have been in firefights, in battle. I said, do you ever get a chance to sleep? Yeah, there are times. You take sleep whenever you can sleep. And when the battle dies down long enough, we shut our eyes and we sleep. I said, what do you dream about? He says, mostly home. I go, when you wake up, how do you fight? He says, stronger than ever, harder than ever. I said, why? He says, if I don't, if I don't fight hard, if I don't hang in there, then home I'll never see. And that's sort of what the Bible's saying. Christians, I know you're tired. I know you're going through a hard time. I know life isn't easy. There's tribulation here. And some of you may be longing for home, but until he calls you, see, it's all in his hands. That day will come. But know that day of rest will be here. But in the meantime, hang in there. Galatians 6, 9. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap a harvest if you faint not. Paul said this when he was tired and ready to go home. 2 Timothy four six. For I'm now ready to be offered. I think God told him. This is the last letter you write. He's in a prison cell. He's now an old man. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is Laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me in that day, or at that day, and not to me only, but unto what's the next word? All, all them that love is appearing. Hey, I ask you a question this morning, Church. Do you love is appearing? Then you're in his family. Hang in tough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to walk by faith and not by sight, because when we walk by sight, this world looks like a pretty bad place, and it looks like Satan's winning. But we know ultimately you are in charge. Uh, We know in this world there will be tribulation, and so thank you for the guarantees that you provide us in your word. Thank you for helping us when we're tempted, when we're troubled, when we're tormented, and thank you that you got a place in heaven for us when we're tired and ready for home. Father, we look forward to receiving our crown of righteousness, along with the Apostle Paul, when you return for us. But until then, keep us serving your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. God bless you. Have a good day.